0: food bloggers. Hi, how are you today? Thank you so much for tuning in to the Eat Blog Talk podcast. This is the place for food bloggers to get information and inspiration to accelerate your blog's growth and ultimately help you to achieve your freedom, whether that's financial, personal, or professional. I'm Megan Porta, and I've been a food blogger for over 12 years. I understand how isolating food blogging can be at times. I'm on a mission to motivate, inspire, and most importantly, let each and every food blogger, including you, know that you are heard and supported. I think you guys are going to love this episode. I feel so much smarter after having spoken with Rob in this episode. Rob Finkelstein from Contract Legalese joined me and he talked about how important it is for food bloggers and food photographers to have a contract and he kind of breaks it down and tells us what we need to have in each contract. And not only that, he explained what certain words mean, which I feel like doesn't happen very often. So I now can confidently tell you what the word indemnification means for the first time in my life. And I'm hoping that after you listen to this, that you will have some of that knowledge that we should all probably have as well. So enjoy the episode. This is episode number 390 and it is sponsored by Rank IQ. Eat Blog Talk is here to support you at every stage of your food blogging journey to help you accelerate your blog's growth so you can achieve your freedom. We offer many services that will help get you on the right path no matter where you're at in your journey. Don't forget to check out our free discussion forum at forum.eatblogtalk.com. Go there to connect with like-minded peers, to learn and to grow, and to share any wins that you have. Our signature service is our mastermind program. We are currently accepting waitlist submissions for 2024. So if you to get on the list for this year-long experience starting in January 2024, definitely do that now. If you are not quite ready for that investment, the Mini Minds program might be for you. It is a six-month program that will help you achieve your goals and overcome any obstacles that are holding you back. And if you're up for getting together in person with some like-minded food bloggers, consider coming to one of our in-person retreats in 2023. This is a great way to get to know your fellow food bloggers really well in an intimate setting to learn a ton about food blogging in a short time frame and to eat some delicious food that you will never forget. Go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash services to get all the information about all of our services. Rob Finkelstein is a lawyer practicing for over 20 years in New York City. In 2017, Rob decided to pursue his passion of baking and went to culinary school for pastry arts. After graduating, not wanting to leave the law, Rob got started blogging at cinnamonshtick.com, which was also his entry into food photography. He worked with a number of brands and came to represent lots of food bloggers and food photographers in connection with their contracts and business setups. They all inspired Rob to create an online course about contracts specifically for food photographers. Hey, Rob. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. How are you doing? I'm
1: doing well. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yes, I'm excited to chat about everything legal issues with food photography, but before we get into it, do you have a fun fact to share with us?
1: Sure. So, I kind of like pride myself on having a like sixth sense in that wherever I am in the world, I just tend to find really good bakeries mm-hmm. and and that I mean, you know, nowadays we have the internet and people can Google and find out. But like, I've had this my whole life, like (laughs) pre-internet. When I was in Cartagena on a cruise, we were there for like a day, like 15 years ago. And I had no internet access or anything then. And I just like, I could just sniff it out. Like, I just know where to go. Saying that makes me feel like, you know, I don't think it's as as crazy as if you saw the movie Mean Girls, Amanda (laughs) Seyfried's character at the very end, where she like is outside in the rain, grabs her chest and says there's a 50% chance that it's raining. <laughs> I think my sixth sense is a little more well-tuned than that. but Who knows? Maybe that's, that's the extent of it. <laughs>
0: so can you explain it at all? Like, what is it? How do you
1: know? I don't know. I think just because I am like a carb addict and love to bake and I, it's just like my passion. And I just, I just, it's, I don't know. It's like, It's a lot of factors, you know, like the presentation of the bakery itself and how the products look just from, you know, looking from the outside before you even enter the bakery. I just, Mm. I don't know. It's like a gut feeling.
0: (laughs) Have you been, have you explored bakeries in Chicago? I have not. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I'm, I live in Minneapolis and I'm really embarrassed to say that I don't know of many bakeries here. So you need to come to Minneapolis and tell me where to go. But I have been to Chicago. I have a friend who's a baker in Chicago area. And she took me on this tour one day of like 10 bakeries. And oh my gosh, there are some good bakeries there. So if you ever get the chance, maybe when you're at Tastemaker, go explore some of those. They're so good.
1: Yeah, maybe I'll stay an extra day just to go bakery hopping.
0: Oh, You really could. You could make it a whole day. It would be worth it, especially since you're a bakery lover.
1: That's my kind of day.
0: Yeah. And actually, I will do some pre research for you and share some of those with you before Tastemaker because I think, yeah, I think it would be worth your while. So fun to know that. (laughs) Yeah. But we're here to talk about a completely different topic. We're talking about legal issues that food photographers should consider. And being a food blogger, I think most people listening are food bloggers. So by default, you are also food photographers. So Rob has some really pertinent and great information to share with us about everything we need to know. So do you just want to dig in, Rob? What? Where do we start with this? Like, What is the first key point that we should keep in mind being food photographers?
1: So before we even get to a key point, I do have to say one thing, just because I am a lawyer and I'm always wearing my lawyer hat. I just, you know, for everyone listening, you know, I am a lawyer, but I'm not your lawyer. Everything I'm going to say here is really just informational, educational purposes. So now that we got that out of the way, let's dig in. <laughs> I mean, truly anyone, and this doesn't just pertain to food photographers or food bloggers. Really, anyone in business, you should have a contract and I think it's so important for people to understand that. I think I think you know people get very nervous about contracts, they don't understand what they say, and they just you know because of that shy away from it and and whatnot. And I think that's a bad practice. and I will tell you, I've met. Photographers, not just food photographers and you know, wedding photographers, all kinds of photographers who say they've been in business for decades and whatever, they've never had a contract and never had an issue. And you know, that's all well and good until there's an issue. Mm-hmm. And the whole point of having a contract is really to tell the story of your relationship with your client. It's sort of the Bible of your relationship, or look at it as a detailed roadmap of how you both intend your relationship to work. And it's really the best way to protect your business and for your client to protect themselves, also, is, is to have a, a well-drafted, well-thought-out contract. And you know, when you go through and try to draft a contract, you have to think, you know, could this happen? Could that happen? That's really what you're doing in a contract. It's so important to have, no matter what business you're in. It's especially important for food photographers because you have issues like. Who's going to own the images that you're creating? Who's going to own the recipes that you're creating? Who can use them and for what purposes? And hopefully you're getting paid for it. And how are you getting paid? When does the payment have to be received by? And if there's a fight down the line, any sort of dispute, how does that get resolved? And is there a limit? Say you did something unintentionally wrong and they sue you. Is there a limit to how much you'd have to pay? So it's just so important to have a contract. And that also kind of ties in a little bit to the business side as to why you should have a business entity, which is a whole separate conversation. But that's also an important thing to do. And if you do have a business entity, which I'm saying you should, make sure your contract has your business entity name and not your personal name. You are the, the Your business entity is acting like a person. So... These are all like top level, such important things. But I think so many people, and not just food bloggers and food photographers, I think so many people in small businesses kind of just dive in and don't, you know, make sure that they have all these things buttoned up. And really, if you do that, you are just taking huge steps in protecting yourself and your business.
0: Okay, I have a few questions I want to ask you. So first of all, Having or drawing up a contract, is that the responsibility of the food photographer or would you say it can depend?
1: So it really depends. I mean, I've worked with smaller brands that don't have a contract. So then I use mine and, you know, they might try to negotiate a couple things here and there. That's that's fine. The bigger brands and I've worked with some and I've negotiated, I've represented clients as a lawyer representing food photographers with bigger brands. They tend to push their own contract. I will tell you that the bigger brands are sometimes a little bit out to lunch on this. And I mean, just like three weeks ago, I had a food photographer client come to me. She was really excited. This huge global brand reached out to her. It was like a really big deal. And she got the contract. and was just kind of like, what is going on here? The contract they gave her was actually an influencer contract. It wasn't a food photography contract. And it turns out that this huge brand had never hired a food photographer for these sorts of purposes oh. that we all do, you know, creating images for their website and social media. They just didn't have a form. so she was very nervous that I suggested doing this, but I said, let me just mark it up and rewrite the agreement so that it reads like a food photography contract because it it was just so backwards the way it was. And guess what? Like they accepted literally every change. They were probably happy they had someone do their dirty work for them. And now they have a food photography contract that they can work with. So, And the point here is, I mean, there's several points to that story. One is do not fear negotiation. If someone decides they want to work with you, that's where their mindset is. And if you come back to them to propose some changes, their initial gut reaction will not be, oh, forget it. We don't want to work with you. That I've never seen that happen. I've been practicing law for over 22 years. I've never seen that happen. There is an expectation that people are going to come back and negotiate. So go and try. I mean, yes, it might be the case that you can't come to terms, so then it falls apart and you don't work together. But much better to know that before you start doing any work. That's the whole point of of having a contract, to spell all this out and make sure there will be no issues down the line.
0: So don't be intimidated, even if it is a bigger brand. Don't be afraid to speak up and say, hey, this doesn't even sound like anything I would be doing. Absolutely.
1: I'd actually say, especially if it's a bigger brand, do not Mm. be intimidated. Because I can tell you what goes on with the bigger brands. Oftentimes, they're hiring out like an outside agency to deal with this stuff and to find people like us to do this work. And it's the agency that's doing this sort of negotiation. And there is a disconnect there I think between the agency and their client the big brand and I think people need to be mindful of that and listen 9 times out of 10 the people you're negotiating with are not lawyers they're they're marketing right. people and yes they have some experience doing this but they don't know all the legal stuff behind it and Sometimes they'll, I mean, I know this from experience, sometimes they'll just say, okay, fine, I don't want to have to go to our legal department, because that's going to tie this up for another month. And we just need to get this going. So we're just going to agree to it. Sometimes that happens. So just, I mean, honestly, anytime you're negotiating anything, do not fear, go try to negotiate. The worst they'll say is no. And if for some reason they say, oh, forget it, we don't want to do business with you they're not a good client.
0: Right, you. right, right, right. Not a good fit anyway. I've never heard of that happening.
1: I mean, there's an expectation that people are going to come back and negotiate.
0: I feel like there might be some people listening who are in the boat where they are working with clients or brands and they haven't established a contract or anything, but they need to maybe go do that. What is? What do you do in that case when you're already kind of in process with it and you know you need to go back and write a contract? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. And I am aware of many food photographers who are operating like that. It's kind of been like a handshake and a wink. And thankfully, for however long that's been going on between that food photographer and that client, there have been no issues. But That's the whole point. What if there's an issue and that's why you need a contract? And, you know, there's nothing wrong with saying, listen, hey, client, it's been such an amazing experience working with you. I know I really appreciate the business and it's been wonderful, but I feel like we really need to button this up into a more formal relationship. And, you know, here's my proposed contract and send it to them and, you know, negotiate whatever you have to do and, and get them to agree to it and sign it because, it's just going to benefit both sides at the end of the day. And the advantage for you in doing that as a, as a food photographer that's you know already has an established relationship with the client, use your own form because you're not going to give them a form that's completely one-sided in your favor, but you can have some terms in there that sway to your side and let's see if they negotiate it. You never know. They might just say, okay, this, this works for us and, and, and agree to it. And that kind of brings me to another point that I think is so important. It's so critical for all of us to have our own contract to work from. You also need to understand it. You need to know what every word means. I'm not saying you need to go get a law degree, but you just need to understand the mechanics of it and have a general understanding of what the provisions mean and how they work together. Because once you do that, when you get a contract from, let's say, a big brand, because they, they want to force you to use their contract, they won't even consider using yours, you can at least read theirs and have an intelligent conversation with them about some of the provisions and give a little pushback on your own. I think that's so important. I mean, you know, in an ideal world, everyone would have a lawyer to do this for them. But for food photographers, that's really cost prohibitive to do for every single negotiation. So that's why I think it's so important for food photographers to get that education and know what it is that they're reading, understand it. That gives you a basis to negotiate with the brand.
0: How do we educate ourselves on that? Because I have contracts and when I read through them, there are places, Rob, that I don't even know (laughs) what it's saying. I'm like, hopefully that's good. So how do we educate ourselves on that?
1: No, and I totally hear you. I mean, you know, if I had not gone to law school, I'd be reading the stuff saying, what is all this gobbledygook? And that's actually a nice segue as to what I just did. I just launched an online class for food photographers called Understanding Food Photography Contracts, where I give you my form food photography contract and we go through it in very detailed discussion about literally each and every word. And I go through the entire contract, explain what these words mean. I include a glossary of terms so that you can look at them and understand what some of these words mean, like indemnification. That's not a word that people use in common speak. It's a word that lawyers use constantly. So it's an important word for for anyone in business to really understand. So I just launched this online course that goes through all that. I'm hoping that people will find it useful. I'm told by many food photographers who I've represented they're all the ones who put the idea in my head. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping that it, you know people will will hop on board and appreciate it and and learn something from it because I think having I think this form that I did is very well drafted, it's well thought out. I've worked with a lot of food photographers on developing it, and I think it's useful because it gives you the education you need so that you can go look at someone else's contract and get the basic gist of it. There might be some different words here or there, of course, but if you get the general understanding and you understand, oh, they want to license this for this purpose, not that purpose, it might not be the same as that language in your form agreement, but you have enough of a base to say, oh, I understand what they want. And sure, that's fine. Or no, that's not fine. And you can go back to them and negotiate.
0: That is so smart to do that, just to educate food photographers in general, all across the board on what the words even mean. If do, I, We'll put all of this information in your show notes page, but do you want to just tell people where they can go to find that real quick?
1: Oh, sure. It's, the website is contractlegalease.com. That's the name of the entity that I formed to, to do all this. All the information's right there. I also have a couple of other – so it's it, – listen, people sell forms or when people have free forms online. I – did not want to just offer a food photography contract out there and put that up for sale, I think it's meaningless if you do not understand what it says. Because the bottom line is is that regardless of how many clients you have, even if you have just one client that you do work for consistently, each job is different. There are different demands. There are different things the client might want. They might not want you you to be able to use anything you create On this one job but the next month for something else they give you they might say okay fine you can put it up on your website your social media and whatever it changes it's a fluid situation your contract necessarily needs to change for each situation and the situation yes that differs client to client but that can also differ job to job for the same client that's why I think it's so important to have an education of what these words mean and how they all work together so on my website, contractlegalease.com, I have – you can purchase the course, and there's also a couple of bundles where if you get that understanding through the class of what these things mean, I felt more comfortable providing forms for other things. So I also have a form for an LLC operating agreement that's really geared towards small business owners and food photographers specifically – And I also have a terms and conditions for a website up there, which is really just geared to a food photographer, food blogger.
0: I thought you have just such a different way to go about this. Like education is so important, helping people understand what they're even doing and then providing the contracts. I absolutely love it. Would you mind talking through maybe some of the key things that you feel like should be in a food photography contract? Sure. And I mean, let me preface this
1: by saying that like, you know, in like the template that I built, they're all important. And I can't say that there's one that's more important than the other. But what I'll do is just highlight some of the more important parts of a food photography contract. So the first thing that I think comes to everyone's mind is copyright. You know, as a matter of law, once you press the button on your camera, you own that image. So anything that you say in your contract that is contrary to that basic legal principle, you're giving away something. And if your client is adamant about owning the images, then that's a basis for you to negotiate a higher price. I mean, I can't really think of an instance of why a brand or a client, you know, maybe it's a restaurant, whatever whoever your client is, would need to own the images outright. But that's kind of your hook to say, okay, well, then you got to pay up. I mean, if the price is right, sure, you can own it. But that's an important thing to keep in mind. And the real point there is that as a matter of law, you own it. That's what copyright law is. When you press the button, it's your image. And so that's that's really the basis for negotiation. And that takes us to the next important point, which is licensing. You know, assuming that you're going to continue – ownership of your image. Licensing is really what can the brand use those images for and for how long. And this is where you spell it all out. And, you know, where can they use them? Can they use them on all social media platforms? And my advice is always to get as specific as possible on the contract. I would never just say that the client can use, you know, whatever images on social media, I would spell out which platforms. So if it's just going to be like Instagram and Facebook, Then spell it out because what happens if they also say, oh, well, we want to use it on TikTok. Maybe you want to up the price a little bit if they're going to do it on a Mm -hmm. third platform or some other platform on top of that. Those are all ways for you to get more money. And the same thing with the licensing to the extent that it's just a a term. If a brand hires you to do holiday cookies that they want to use those images, whether on their website, social media, wherever – for the months of October, November, December in a particular year, get a licensing fee for that. And then maybe they come back a year later, they want to use the same images. So either you have it already in your agreement how much they'll pay, or you amend your agreement and agree to another three months for the next calendar year during October, November, December.
0: So being really specific is good. Exactly.
1: The worst thing you can do in a contract, and I think it's why some people shy away from it, is if you have ambiguous language, Mm. meaning that it could be interpreted more than one way, you want to avoid that kind of language because that's the language that invites litigation. Because, I mean, just think about it. If something can be interpreted more than one way, then you have a disagreement right there. And so the odds are more likely that there'll be a fight down the line. Mm. So, I mean, and I use that example by saying social media... That's a little bit ambiguous because you're right. giving them free reign of all the platforms. Whereas if you get very specific and say which platforms, there's no room for error. There's no room for confusion or anything like that.
0: Mm, that's a good point. And who knows, some a new social platform could pop up between now and a year from now. And then maybe, you know, that would cover that even. So you just...
1: And say that does happen. So okay, great. So then maybe that new platform takes off and people are excited about it, and the brand wants to you know use stuff that you're whatever you created for them there. That's that's great. Enter into an amendment to the agreement and put in an additional price for that, and it's a win win.
0: Taking a really quick break from the episode to chat about Rank IQ, my favorite keyword research tool that is made just for bloggers. If you are looking for a more efficient way to do keyword research in 2023, and you're looking for a way to open up space in your business so you can work on other projects that maybe have been sitting on your to do list for ages, I will share a strategy that worked really well for me in 2022. It required four months of intensive work and has produced a nice, fruitful crop of blog traffic and revenue. During those four months, I published 57 blog posts, all of which were run through the Rank IQ Keyword Research Tool and Optimizer, and most of which were non-recipe content. So they did not require recipe development, cooking, or photography. My blog traffic was up year over year, up to 64% at times during all of 2022 to Now here in 2023, my traffic is up 33% from last year. I laid some powerful groundwork and it is still gaining momentum. Go to rankiq.com to check it out for yourself. Now back to the episode. Oh, this is good. I, just knowing, like having specific dates, platforms, like really specific things in mind as you're writing your contract. What else do you keep in mind as you
1: Yeah. So I really don't know what is the most important because it all ties together. But this, I think, is very important, is having a provision in there about artistic rights. The bottom line is, if you are a photographer, you're really an artist. And it's the same thing if you're developing recipes. If if your contract is just for recipe development, and no photos, it's the same thing and you know i think it's so important to have a provision about artistic rights to say you are an artist this is your your vision of how you do this work they've looked at your portfolio and they've i would put in the agreement that they've seen your portfolio and they know that whatever you're going to create is going to be consistent with your portfolio that sort of language is so helpful because If they come back to you and say, oh, you know, the right side of the image is a little dark or we don't like the fork in that place, that is what I kind of call subjective nonsense. And (laughs) I would push back and say, no, like that, this was my my vision for this work. And this is consistent with my portfolio and I'm not going to redo this. But that also begs another important thing to add into your contract is make sure you include a fee for doing any reshoots. If they are going to invoke what I call the subjective nonsense, you know, unwritten provision, then they got to pay, you know, they got to pay for it. We all know it's time consuming to, you know, get a good shot and then to edit it. And, you know, if they want you to redo it, you might have to, you know, remake whatever the recipe was. Like, it's going to be a lot of time and energy. So I always include a reshoot fee.
0: Mm, That's something I did not. I failed on that one (laughs) early on in my food (laughs) blogging journey, and it still haunts me. It was a horrible situation. I would not recommend going through that for anyone. So yes, I think that is a huge key point. Okay, I have a question, Rob. Can you explain the word indemnification, please?
1: Basically, indemnification means – it's it's such an important provision. It's in probably every contract that if you ever have occasion to read any contract outside of food photography, there's probably an indemnification provision. It's one of those like sort of boilerplate legal provisions that's in there. What it means is that the other party has an obligation to step into your shoes and defend any lawsuit brought against you, pay your lawyers – or pay and or pay any damages that could be assessed against you in court. The point of it is, and I'll try to give like a food photography example. What if you're hired as a food photographer to do recipe development and and create all these images and your client, this big brand says in the images, we want you to use this product also. And so you just say, okay, well, this is what my client wanted, sure. What if it turns out that your client did not own the rights to that product, mm. or they don't own that product at all, they have nothing to do with it, and the actual owner of that product gets wind of it, and then finds out that you're the one who took the photograph, you're susceptible to a lawsuit there. So you know, what's going to happen there? You did this because your client told you to. You took direction from them. I include language in my contract that that provides for this situation and requires your client to indemnify you, step into your shoes, and kind of guard you with a sword and shield and pay all the damages because they're the ones who caused this. They caused you to get sued because they insisted on you using this other product.
0: Oh, my gosh. That was the best I totally understand it now. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh good. <laughs> I can go to bed and just yeah, mission accomplished today. <laughs> we have identification
1: dreams. <laughs> yes. Oh gosh, yeah. It's such an important thing and I mean, listen, I think in our world and food photography world specifically, I think it's a rare instance where it will need to be utilized, but That's the whole point of a contract. you never know. You're kind of laying the groundwork for any possibility, regardless of how likely it is to happen.
0: Yeah. Anything else in the contract that you want to touch on that you feel should be there?
1: Yeah, I guess there's really two more things that go hand in hand. One is a limitation of liability. What that means is you're limiting the amount of money you would have to pay if you, whether intentionally or unintentionally, do something wrong and get sued you know say say you're allowed to post your the images that you created for a brand on social media but in your description of it you infringed on someone else's trademark and it opens up a whole door and causes some some damages maybe someone files a lawsuit anything could happen your client could say that you breached the agreement for some reason and so what does that mean i mean you have an indemnification obligation to them probably because Going back to indemnification, it's usually a reciprocal thing, meaning you both indemnify each other if a third party comes out there. So that's that's frightening for a small business owner like us, which again is also why you should have a business entity. But the whole point of the limitation of liability is to put a ceiling on how much you'd ever have to pay out. And there are it gets a little nuanced. I go into this in much greater detail in my course. Sometimes, you know, the indemnification provision gets excluded from the limitation of liability because they want to make sure that they're made whole. If you have to indemnify them, it shouldn't be subject to a limitation. But you can put in language saying that, you know, for any sort of fight between us, you and your client, the most in damages you'd have to pay is $500. Mm -hmm. You can do that. And if they agree to it, that's wonderful. I mean, that's a re- you can make that reciprocal, too, so that the most they'd have to pay if they do something improper is the same. But you have to be more thoughtful about it, because what if you create an image for them that, under your agreement, they're permitted to use for only three months of the year, and they go and they use it for, like, nine months? They've now breached the agreement. But if you've agreed to a limitation of liability that's reciprocal – The most you could get is that $500 if that's the limit. Ah. So you have to, it's a balancing act and you got to walk a fine line and really think it through. And again, I go through this in much more detail in my class.
0: Yeah. I feel so much smarter all of a sudden. (laughs) Thank you, Rob. (laughs) Okay. What is the last? That's that's the best thing I could hear. And the the last Yeah. That's your whole objective, right? To educate us, make us feel smarter. Yeah, what's the last one that you wanted to
1: talk about? The last thing that I would really think about, too, is a choice of law provision, which this is also standard in most contracts. Um, Put in a provision that says, in the event of a dispute, and by dispute, generally that means litigation, you're someone suing the other party. Put in a provision as to what state or what country's laws will apply. You can get, if you don't have a statement to that effect, because everyone, especially, you know... In today's world, people are all over the world. And it's, you know, back like 100 years ago, everyone who was doing business were basically in the same vicinity. If I was in New York City, I was probably working for someone in New York City. So any fight would be under New York law and it would be filed in a court in New York. Those are like, those days are so long over. So it's so important to think about, you know, what would happen if there's going to be a dispute, if my client's going to sue me or I have to sue my client. You know, if I live in Nevada and my clients in Virginia, what's gonna happen? And you spell that out in the contract. And I generally, as the smaller entity, being a food blogger, a food photographer, I put in the state where I live because it's going to be expensive for me to hire a lawyer in some state where I don't know anyone. And if I have to go there to testify or do anything legally, then I gotta travel. And usually that argument. Goes well with brands to say, listen, you're the Goliath, I'm the David. So you have deep pockets. You're all over the world. You can come to Nevada. There's no reason why you can't. Yeah. So it's, and that's, you know, as to which state's law will apply, that's so important because you can get into a whole separate litigation. Over which state's law would apply? It's a costly and stupid fight to have when you just put a one sentence statement in your contract saying this: the laws of the state of Nevada will apply to the interpretation of this agreement.
0: What if nothing is set for where the or which state's laws apply? Does it default to one, or is that
1: no? It's a very it's a very complicated legal analysis. Oh boy courts go through, and it ends up being very costly. Sometimes, you know, more often than not, the court can make a decision, but it's dependent on so many factors, like where both parties are located, whether you're doing business in that state, and whether you've ever entered that state. There's there's so many things that the courts look at, and it's kind of like uh, weighing all the factors together. And sometimes it's pretty cut and dry, and a court can make a decision very quickly, but sometimes it's not. And the, the longer it takes and the more fighting there is just over that issue gets very expensive. And you can easily nip that in the bud by just putting the statement in your contract. And the truth is, if you do live in Nevada and you're working with a client in Virginia and they insist on having Virginia law apply and you know, they won't budge, fine. Better to agree to that so that there's no fighting over which state's law. Because you can still, if there's nothing else said beyond that, you could still file a lawsuit in Nevada against that client. The Nevada court would apply Virginia law in its interpretation because that's what the contract says, and the court can do that. But sometimes you have another sentence in there that says that, in addition to which state's law will apply, that any dispute must be brought in a particular state. That sometimes, sometimes you can get a party to agree to that. Sometimes they won't, in which case don't include it. The sentence to always have is which state's law will apply to the interpretation of the agreement.
0: This is all so great. I wish I'd met you like 10 years ago. I could have avoided some strife. (laughs) I mean, I haven't had a ton, but I've worked with a few brands and didn't know a lot of this and definitely had some repercussions. So I hope that this conversation really helps people to think through all of this and just avoid some of those struggles that can be helped with literally one sentence right
1: exactly that's just it and like once you know the basics of all of this it you know you do it more and more and you read it i mean seriously you need to read every contract and even if you're doing a contract for the same client but a different job and you have to change some things around because it's a different you know different you know whatever reasons that they're having you do work read through the contract from beginning to end because we all do it. We, If we just focus on the paragraph that we changed, we miss stuff because everything interacts with each other. And once you have a basic understanding of how it all works out, it really becomes much easier. And I mean, unfortunately, you kind of learn the hard way with a lot of this stuff. But that's also how people learn. So it's not, you know, it's not a bad thing, you know, that unfortunately we didn't meet earlier, but, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, you did have that. It's a good experience to have had just so, you know, it's an educational thing. And I'm trying to, what I'm hoping to do with this class is to for people to avoid learning the hard way and learn the smart yeah. way and get this education and understand what it all means.
0: Right. So we've talked a lot about contracts for food photography businesses. Would you mind talking through potential legal issues on social media?
1: Yeah. And it's interesting because I've had a lot of food blogger and food photography clients come to me about really social media, specifically on Instagram. You know, what what is the law there and what's going on? Do people, do brands own my images because I tagged them or I used the hashtag that's become associated with their brand? And the answer is no. I mean, that's just not how it works. I will say, I should say generally no, because people try and play games. So if you go and read like Instagram's terms and conditions, there's nothing in there that speaks to to this at all. There's one thing, there was a a case that I'm a little upset that it settled last year because I would have been interested to see where the court would have gone. But there was a case that, invoked the terms and conditions of Instagram and said, Instagram gives me a sub-license so I can repost anything that I see on there. It was a very weak argument, mm-hmm. and I would, that's why I was curious to see what the court would do with it, but the it ended up getting settled, so we have no idea what would happen. Oh. But the, my point is, if you, if you tag a brand or you use a hashtag that's associated with that brand, you're not giving them any rights. But there are brands out there, which I do think is sort of smart on their part. And I've had this happen to me a number of times where they leave a comment on my post and say, we would love to repost this. Please respond yes if you agree. And here are our terms and conditions. And they include a URL to their terms and conditions. Which it's also a little cute to do on it, on Instagram because there's no links. So you have to literally go and type it in oh. uh, to the browser, which is so frustrating. But I'm like, that I feel like they're taking advantage of that, you know, Instagram setting that doesn't allow you to right. just have hyperlink. Right, right. But I do that. And I go and I read through. And nine times out of ten, when I go and read their terms and conditions, they have – it's all self-serving language saying that they're going to own all rights to the images they can use it for whatever purposes they want they can sub license it basically they're going to profit off of it and i'm not going to see a penny from it so i read that and i respond no way (laughs) i mean that's just ridiculous so and these are some big like national brands so be careful it's you know it's so important to read all these terms and conditions and whatnot and i think. We all get super excited when a big brand like that reaches out and we're like, oh, wow. But no, read what they're saying, because if they're happy enough with your image that they think they want to profit from it, then they need to pay you for it. And, you know, I've done it too. I've I've written back and said, you know, I can't agree to this, but I would love the opportunity to work with you. You know, in some instances, they're like, oh, we don't have the budget. Well, then, okay, then stop trying to steal my work. But, you know, sometimes they write back and say, "Okay, let's talk. And, you know, I've gotten some work that way. So it's it's definitely a way to take advantage and get in there.
0: And this applies not just to social media, I'm assuming, but also any other platform where you, you might be putting your images?
1: Absolutely. So, you know, there are other. So here's what I'll say with social media. Those platforms are designed for people like us. They're designed for creators. They want us on there. They want us to feel safe and like our stuff is not being stolen. So their terms and conditions are generally favorable. And by they I mean, you know, Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Their terms favor creators. So that's a good thing. But there are other websites out there, just to name a few, like Food 52 or the Feed Feed. Go read their terms and conditions. You might agree to what they're saying on there, and that's fine. But I really, really want to beg each and every one of you, before going and posting on their platform, go read it. See what it says. You might be giving up some rights. I mean, I can tell you from reading them, you are giving up rights. So, And for some people, that might be okay. that it's really a business decision for everyone to make. For me, it wasn't okay. I don't agree with their terms and what they're trying to do with my creations, both the recipe and the images. So, but that's me and that's my opinion. You as a business owner might make a different decision and that's totally acceptable. But don't do it blindly. Don't just be posting recipes on these other platforms. Go read their terms and conditions and see what they say. That, honestly, everything I've said today, I think that's one of the most important things. I think people get so excited to be on a bigger platform and to get that recognition. We all love that, it's it's great. But be careful, don't do things blindly. Read through these terms and conditions. Terms and conditions on a website are a contract. They are enforceable. It is, they're dictating the relationship because it's a very one-sided agreement. So I'd be very careful. And I can tell you that there are third-party platforms out there that have hidden in their terms and conditions language about posting on social media, which I cannot see how in the world that would ever be enforceable. But if they're putting it in there, that means they're doing it and they're trying to assert ownership over images in which you use their hashtag on social media, even if you've never been to their website. There's no way I can imagine that would ever be enforceable. But if they had the, the thought to include that in their terms and conditions, that suggests to me that they're doing it. So mm-hmm. they're, they're trying to profit off of people. And I just be very careful. I, I don't listen. I'm, I'm a lawyer, so I don't trust anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just how I roll. And I'm very suspect of everyone and everything. So I read these things and I just say, no, I'm not agreeing to that. I mean, there are some third party platforms that their, their terms and conditions are, you know, they make sense. So it's like, okay, if I post on there, it's, it's, you know, their website is their house, it's their house, it's their rules. So if I'm going to post my images and my recipe on their website, it's in their terms and conditions that they're going to own it. Okay, so the way I avoid that is I don't post it on their website. It's just that simple.
0: Wow, this is enlightening, Rob. I, yeah, I feel enlightened and also kind of skeptical now. of. <laughs> I, I think as food bloggers, we a lot of us are not lawyers like yourself. So we're very trusting. Like, oh, well, they've got our back. They have our best interest in mind, but that is not necessarily the case. So just read those terms and conditions. I have maybe once read <laughs> terms and conditions. I'm bad at that. So I will be better at that
1: I think most people are. I think no one, no one, I will tell you when I first started this, I didn't read the terms and conditions because I was so excited to like right. be dipping my toes into this lake. And I was like, Oh my God, like, you know, this, this big, whatever reposted my thing. And w- I, I didn't think about it. It took me a, a little bit of a year or so of doing it. that I was like, you know, I should really see what these terms and conditions say. None of us think about it. Yeah. I mean, Even me as a lawyer, I didn't think about it at first, but it's so important.
0: That's why we're having this chat, just to bring it to top of mind and and not to feel bad about it, but to consider it next time we have the opportunity. Is there anything we forgot? I feel like this was such a good conversation, but let me know if we've missed anything.
1: I think that covers everything that I was hoping to address. I mean, listen, there's so much more and that's why I created this course, so you know, and I go into the social media in much more detail as a bonus section to my course. There's a lot there. You can, If you go to the, the ContractLegalEase.com website, you can pull up the whole curriculum there. So you see everything that I talk about in the class. But there's there's really so much to know. And I think what I'm hoping with this course is to get out there is – once you get this little bit of education, I think it's going to arm each and every food photographer and food blogger out there to be more confident. And I think this also begs the question, with that knowledge and that confidence, I'm hoping it will help all of us negotiate better fees. You know, there's, there's ways to use some of these terms as leverage. I mean, for example, if they want ownership, okay, pay more for it. I mean, that's an easy one. But there's, you know, having that knowledge base of how contracts work and what everything means, it opens the door for you to negotiate better terms for yourself, whether that's, you know, in terms of compensation or just other provisions. It's it's so important.
0: Rob, thank you for making me smarter today. And thank you for joining us. We really appreciate you.
1: Oh, thank you. I really appreciate you having me. This was really
0: fun. Do you have a favorite quote or words of inspiration to leave us with today? The one thing that
1: I always say to myself, which I've been saying for years, and I will qualify it and say that it's usually about food. I always say, you don't know unless you try. And yeah, I usually say it about food. I'm like, oh, I should try that. I don't know if I like it. (laughs) But I really, that's kind of my mantra in life lately that you don't know unless you try. I mean, listen, I put myself through culinary school while running my law firm because it was just a passion I had and I always wanted to do it. And it was just like, you know what, I won't know if I'd like it unless I try it. And, you know, I did it. And it's kind of like how I've gone. And after culinary school, I started my my blog because I don't know unless I try. And I took a food photography course. And I started this online contracts course because I don't know unless I try. And, you know, if it all works out, great. If not, all right, at least I know I tried.
0: (laughs) Oh, I love that. That's such a good way to live. And that's very inspiring. Thank you for sharing that. What a great way to end. We'll put together a show notes page for you, Rob. If you want to go look at those, you can go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash contract legalese, and we will put all of the information about Rob's course in there and everything else we've talked about today.
1: I do want to mention, too, that I am offering a $50 off code Ooh. for the, the class, and it also will apply to any bundles on the website also. The code is EBT for Eat Blog Talk 50.
0: Oh, awesome. That's so generous of you. Oh gosh, yeah, that's amazing. Thank you. So definitely check that out. And then we've kind of talked about this, but do you just want to reiterate where everyone can find you if they want to find you, Rob? Sure, the
1: website is contractlegalese.com. I also have that same Instagram handle. and my my blog itself is Cinnamon Stick, which is also at Cinnamon Stick on Instagram and that's the, the blog URL as well.
0: I love your blog name. That's the best name ever. (laughs) Thank you so (laughs) much. That's so great. Well, thanks again so much for being here, Rob. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Eat Blog Talk. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you posted it to your social media feed and stories. I will see you next time.